Before we get into today's episode, I want to invite you to a free virtual table read we are hosting with a group of writers and actors on Saturday, May 1st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time. It is 100% free to attend online. We are, however, using it as a part of our crowdfunding campaign for Strong Asian League. If you are listening to this podcast episode, you already know who we are at Strong Asian League. This is a special preview episode and an invite to all those who are already subscribed to our newsletter or keep constant with our social media posts. We want to raise $50,000 to support the work here at Strong Asian Lead, find a producer for this podcast, maintain maintenance on our digital domains, pay our staff, expand our research, and further our mission. We would love for you to attend our table read and listen to new Asian American writers and actors who are upcoming in their emerging careers. And if you can help with our campaign, I would be truly honored and will do my best to do right by your contribution. We'll have the campaign running all throughout May, but this event is only scheduled for May 1st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. We're kicking off Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So please, come for one table read or stay for the whole marathon. Now, on to the show. I believe that one day when people have enough respect and understanding of the beauty of different cultural nuances that all cultures have, then we can go to a place where you could place the chopsticks there. You could just have the shoes at the door. And that in itself explains the culture and identity. But we're so far from that in America because we don't even know our own history as Asian Americans. We don't know the history of Asians in Asia either because world history lessons in the U.S. are so sparse and few and far between. But we have to spend that time. I agree with you that we have to spend time as Asian Americans telling stories that quantify or qualify the beauty of being Asian American so that we paint this really full picture of who we are, take pride in everything that is Asian American, and then have that respected. You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, a podcast platform for Asians across the diaspora to share their stories about what it means to be an Asian creative in the entertainment industry. Throughout this podcast, you'll hear me and my guests have deep discussions about the industry, the paths they forged, and their unique experiences on and off the film set. I'm your host, David Masami Moria. Today is the launch of our first podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Our mission as Strong Asian Lead is to amplify the creative power of the Asian entertainment diaspora, create space for artists to tell their stories, and provide resources to support emerging artists in their careers. You may or may not know who I am, but this podcast isn't about me. It's about you, Asian Hollywood. And when I say Asian Hollywood, I mean the entire Asian diaspora across the globe who is an entertainer, performer, writer, director, actor, manager, agent, executives, grips, and electric, or anyone who loves to hear the Hollywood gossip. We work in an industry that hasn't excluded us for long enough, and here on this podcast, we're going to break that silence. The Asian Hollywood experience is a unique story that needs a voice, and that's why we created this podcast and Strong Asian Lead. We've got so much to share with you over the next few months and years to come. We've already seen an overwhelming response on Clubhouse since December, and we wanted to deepen those conversations here on a podcast. This episode is longer than future episodes, and we had recorded this late last year. So thank you for tuning in, and I promise to keep episodes shorter in the future. We just know that these conversations about the industry are so rarely brought to the public, and we're giving agents the platform to share their experiences with the world. So kick off your shoes, fire up your walk, and wash your rice, because we're cooking up some great content for y'all. Today, I'm honored with the presence of Emmy Lea Kamamoto, 
She is the founder of Defiant Changemakers, an inclusion and belonging coaching and consulting company, and helped me co-found Strong Asian Lead in 2020. Emmy never imagined herself in Hollywood, but when the opportunity to join CAA's human resource team as an executive of learning and development, she dove right in. Her time at the creative artist agencies and our time working together on Strong Asian Lead convinced her that changing Hollywood's representation of stories is critical, making this world better for our future. Emmy and I created Strong Asian Lead together early 2020, right after the pandemic hit. We had so many great conversations over Zoom that we knew that we had to take these conversations out to the public. We had been understanding what Asian entertainment industry looks like and gathered the data to understand what it could look like in the future. Since then, she's moved on to her own entrepreneur adventures. But in the time that we work together, we've recorded many episodes together as co-hosts. So in future episodes, you will hear Emmy and I have more conversations one-on-one and to see what the landscape of Asian Hollywood looks like and what we're doing to change the future. With that being said, here is my conversation with Emmy Lea Kamamoto about the responsibility of Hollywood, recorded on November 2nd. This is a new podcast for us, but this is not a new conversation. Oh, no, not at all. No, because we've been talking about this for months. Not only the podcast that we've been talking about, but the Hollywood industry within relation to Asian America. Because as two Asian Americans, we've been looking at the industry from a sense of where are all the Asians? Because... As even if we've gone through strides of Crazy Rich Asians, The Farewell, Parasite, Fresh Off the Boat, there's still the percentage of Asian Americans who are not being seen on screen. And even the Asians seen on screen aren't always Asian American. And that's what's a little troubling to me because as an Asian American who watches TV and film, I don't see myself. And I don't see my culture being related, even as an Asian American, but more specifically as a Japanese American, because there are just some nuances that I don't see. And then when society looks at Asian Americans on the screen, they see me as Asian. They don't see me as Japanese American. We've been having this conversation for hours on end over the course of 2020 because the lack of fair, accurate representation of our lived experiences and the lived experiences of other Asian Americans within our own friend community has impacted our lives. Oftentimes the characters that are given to Asian American actors and actresses are very one-dimensional, failing to cover the complexity and nuances of our own identities. And we've spoken a lot about how stereotypes impact the psychology and psyche of the individuals who have negative stereotypes against them. And if we are not seeing the complexity of our characters and experiences on TV, that can affect how complex and nuanced we think that we are. It's the negative stereotypes that we see about Asian Americans, but it's also the model minority myth of the positive stereotypes that we see. Oh, yeah. Because not only are we seeing things like Asians are bad drivers or they don't speak enough English, but by showing America that they're extra good at math Mm -hmm. and that they're super smart or that they're only doctors and, and lawyers, people assume that you're good at that, that you're always good at that. People think I'm really great at math. I'm not bad at math, but I'm not like a genius. I have to go find a calculator somewhere for every simple problem. It doesn't matter because entertainment says that every every Asian is great at math. And and thousands of kids struggle when they're being made fun of because they don't fit this type. Yeah. When I'm getting an F in calculus, they go, you're Asian. What happened? We're supposed to be good at math. Like you just get that. And that's also harmful. 
And so even just the model minority myth, and for those who don't know what the model minority myth, it was created by white sociologists that said the Asian Americans, the Japanese Americans specifically at the time, they are good at these things. And that's why they are prospering. They're good at integrating into society, at listening to what they're told. Because the Asians, they assimilate more. They assimilate, they do their jobs, they keep their heads down, they do the work. We're more aligned to whiteness. Right, they are. And by law, they were more aligned to whiteness. For many years, Asians were given more privileges than black Americans. In 1965, the immigration laws allowed Asian American immigrants back into the United States when after many years of zero immigration of Asian Americans. But that same law that allowed for highly educated Asian Americans to enter the country actually also allowed in highly educated people from Germany, Sweden, all these countries in Europe. However, the biggest physical difference that Americans saw was this yellow wave of immigrants, of highly educated immigrants entering into suburban neighborhoods and going to good schools in the United States, thus perpetuating this idea that Asian Americans or Asians were of a... They're only going to send the best of the best. best. Only America was only allowing in the best of the best, right. perpetuating this idea that there's a model minority. Right. So you could be a doctor in India, but when you come here, you have to be a taxi driver. Like you just wouldn't get those jobs because once you did come in, you weren't allowed to have those jobs that you would be good at because okay. of racism. So... Why are we talking about this? Because that's a context to understand the entertainment industry because it's reflective of what society is. And if society is only being told what the entertainment industry wants us to know and Asian Americans are not being portrayed as human or as people with complexities and flaws that have strengths, then we need to start advocating for ourselves and saying, this is who we are. And we can't just be doing it by one film or one thing and saying, Crazy Rich Asians made a lot of money. Then we broke the barriers. We won. No, that is just a Band-Aid for 2018. Because after that, what else really happened? A few other movies per year. But the critical mass of Asian Americans in America and the smaller percentage of the creatives who are coming out aren't getting enough voice. So many of my friends who are Asian American who are trying to make their dues and do their thing aren't getting to the mainstream. And if we had more people getting to the mainstream and doing the things, society would see us Asian Americans as a part of American society instead of go back to your China or go home. Don't think we belong here. The perpetual foreigner syndrome. Right. The perpetual foreigner syndrome saying that you don't belong in America because you don't look American. And what does that mean? (laughs) So we have to change that. And I think... and. The way I see it in my philosophy is that we change it through the entertainment industry because then if we have enough, we see enough. And this, if seeing is believing, then we're going to see that American society on entertainment will look more like American society in real life. And that's why we're doing this podcast because we've been talking about this same topic over and over again into great depths, but we haven't really recorded it in a really high performance value. Yeah. And we don't only want to talk about the problems within the entertainment industry. We want to be a part of the solution. The only way we're going to get there is to reimagine how we can organize the very powerful influence of entertainment towards social change. We know that there's a correlation between what society understands and believes about the world and what entertainment is pushing out there. So why not be part of 
the creation of that message that's being put out into the world? What does it look like if Asian Americans are telling these stories, are in the director's chairs, are helping find the talent in every part of the entertainment industry? When we are the ones that are creating the messaging of our experiences and our stories, it's going to be the most authentic, it's going to be the most correct and nuanced, and it's going to impact the minds of Americans and hopefully the world as well, because that is the power of the entertainment industry in America. And it's its obligation. I believe, and we both believe, the entertainment industry's obligation is to make the world a better place. Because if the entertainment industry is guiding what we think about certain groups of people and making us disrespect, discredit people who are different from us, it leads to problems within society. So I've come from the world of politics and I left the world of politics because I thought the process and rate of change was so slow. I came to the world of entertainment because I believed it has an opportunity and an obligation that's much more impactful than just American politics to change the mindset of people around the world. And I couldn't be more excited to be discussing this with you, David, because we come from different perspectives, different seats within the entertainment industry. I've been in on the agency side. And then you're a writer, a director, creative. And that these two different perspectives, while aren't they aren't the whole picture, they allow us to see the different systems that have been put in place to push through certain stories and keep back other stories. And we want to imagine what would it look like to be a movement that allows Asian American stories to move forward without hitting the gatekeepers, the walls, the barriers that exist right now in Hollywood to tell the full nuanced story of Asian Americana. And we want the Asian Americans who are listening to this podcast to think about that as well. To think about not only just becoming the next best thing, but to really think about the industry as something that's a system. That's a system that has been built against us. And that we have to not only, yes, make your creative things and do your arts, because we do need to push that. But we also have to fight this together as a community. Because if we don't fight it, if we only fight it single-handedly, each person trying to advocate for ourselves, then we're not going to get very much further than the capitalist idea of I need to win. And I need to win so I can make the big bucks, so I can do the thing to live. But we need to work together so that we change the industry for not only ourselves, but our community and the next generation so that they don't have the same problems that we're having now. Because if right now it's so hard to get into a writer's room or be in a place that is predominantly Asian. Uh, almost every time I'm in a room or in this, on a set, I'm the only Asian. That's a weird ratio Very for America weird. and for Los Angeles in particular. Very weird. Yeah, exactly. California, it's like most population of Asians in the United States, if I'm not... If I'm not. Other than Hawaii, yeah. Exactly, and that's the most concentrated of it. And if we're all in Southern California, being in LA, like we need to start having these conversations about this mm-hmm. because... If we don't start the conversation, we're not really talking about it. We're just trying to do ourselves, do our do our thing. We've both taken our side, our jobs as we have in the past, but this is now our next thing because as much as I might be a screenwriter and director and all the things in, in entertainment on the creative side, I still think it's an extremely important to talk about the system and try to change the system from the inside. Not in the same way that we think that, oh, if we become one of the elites, we'll change the system. Because once you're becoming the elite, you are a part of the system. system. We need to build a new system, build a new table that we can all eat at. Yes. Because if we, then we all do that, then we can start bringing other people in to that thing. But until we start thinking, coming to the diner table 
and coming to a restaurant all together. And have you ever been in a room where you're the only Asian and then go into another room where you're one of 10 Asians? Like there's just a different vibe. There's just a different place. And you get to talk about the certain things that you just can't talk about in other rooms because they don't get it or they don't believe you. They don't think you're worth the time to talk about it. We need to start coming together as a community in that sense and talking about these systemic issues within Asian Hollywood and then start to expand that idea about all the other cultures and all the other entertainment industry, entertainment systems within the Latinx community, the black community, the Native American community, because those are having the same problems that we're having. And they've made advances in areas that the Asian American community hasn't. We all need to be sharing our tools and experiences, mistakes, successes, so that we can help one another share our experiences, our stories, because everybody deserves, every single community needs to have its stories told. David, you and I are Asian American, so we can only speak with authority of our lived experiences and our identities. So that's why we're working on this for the Asian American community. But there is so much to learn from other communities and for us to share with other communities as well. And we'll get into what strong Asian lead means to us. But first, I want you to introduce yourself. Who are you? I'm Emilea Kamemoto. I am a mixed race, first generation Japanese American. So my dad, my mom, and I moved from Japan to uh, America. And my lived experience thinking that I was part of a majority as a half Japanese girl living in Tokyo set the stage for me once I moved to America to really become obsessed with understanding who I was and what my identity was. And let me tell you, it's a lifelong journey. I'm not quite there yet. But because I care so much about identity, my career has followed the path of working in the diversity, inclusion, and equity space. And I've been consulting companies across a lot of different industries on their diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies. I am an activist and an organizer. I have spent most of my career working with people and in human resources departments and in culture building departments. But in 2018, I had the privilege of jumping into the entertainment world as an executive at an agency. And... That is where I suddenly began to understand that organizing people to make change within an organization or a company was just the beginning of the potential that I as an individual had. Helping people understand their strengths and abilities and helping them utilize those strengths and abilities to make the change that they want to see in whichever environment they're in, most recently in Hollywood and in the entertainment space as well. So really, really excited to be talking about the intersection of race, entertainment, equity, inclusion, all of these buzzwords that I truly love and am obsessed with. David, tell me a little bit about you. So my name is David Moria. I'm a fifth generation Japanese American. I was born in Southern California. I'm a mixed race and so my mother's white, my dad's Japanese. I lived in Southern California, right outside of LA. It's called Ontario. Nothing much. We call it Cowtown. And I've been a photographer in New York. I've been a filmmaker making music videos and short films. I studied screenwriting and film production in college. 
And when I went to New York after the 2016 election, I created a small nonprofit to help other photographers connect with nonprofits so that nonprofits get photography and photographers get practice. And so everybody kind of, went, kind of wins there. But in that movement, I was being taught about uh, activism and social justice and racial justice and un- all these understandings of how the American system has played against people of color. I was pointed out that I was a part of this conversation as a person of color. I did not think I was a Japanese American. I did not think I was Asian American. I thought I was a white American. When that was pointed out to me, I really had to take on this idea of what it means to be Asian American. And so I wanted to use my, my skills as a filmmaker to tell Asian American stories from a cultural understanding because I had to learn about my culture through Google and through interviews and talking to people about things. I'm still learning every day. So I also want to portray that into uh, Asian American films because there are things that you can be taught and there's things that you can't be taught. There's things that I can learn from Google, but I can feel in my heart that certain things aren't right or certain things I can't find from Google. I can only find from my community. And so to put that thing, those things into film and entertainment, I think that's really important for the community to see that they're being seen, not just from the Google side, but from really from the community side. The activist inside me says like we build as a community to share our stories and be loud and proud about it hollywood and entertainment industry can really benefit from understanding asian american culture from different cultures because over the diaspora there's so many of us different asians from different places that there's so much to be learned and almost none of it's negative it's all about the positive things that you can learn from different types of food different types of belief systems religions there's so many things that we start teaching within the entertainment industry through a very easy consumable way that we can start to learn about each other and start to get this sense of unity within yourselves so going wrapping this all into what strong asian lead is that's what you and i are doing is really getting the people our people, our community to stand up for ourselves and work with each other as a community to build a new Hollywood. The moment I saw that you had Strong Asian Lead as your Instagram handle on your website after we had our first conversation on Zoom earlier this year, you helped me imagine what does it look like to make a movement of Strong Asian Leads within the entertainment space where everybody's identity is respected, has a place to share from and has a place to benefit other audiences uh, from. They have a platform. You and I met at a young entertainment activists event. And when you messaged me on LinkedIn, I saw your website, your Instagram handle, and you had taken the name Strong Asian Lead. Why did you choose to borrow something from a big entertainment company that we know? Tell me a little bit more about that story. I had been thinking about this Asian American movement very small bits throughout throughout the past couple of years. But what I found was when I started to research the idea of inter- Asian American entertainment and what I wanted to understand what other people were doing in other cultures. So I had stumbled upon Strong Black Lead, which is Netflix's movement for uh, black American entertainment and how they are not just one genre. They're having black leaders and black entertainment leaders tell their stories and say, we belong here and we need to tell our stories authentically and when i started to look at more netflix's culture they had strong black lead strong female lead strong lgbtq lead strong trans lead they didn't have strong asian lead and that was upsetting to me because 
it felt like they didn't care. Because if they're going to care about everybody else and really push for their storytelling, where are they going to advocate for Asian Americans? I would argue that they didn't care. If they're not putting money, time, or investment behind it, they don't care. And that's a problem that we see across the board. Marketing budgets for Asian Americans are much smaller than the percentage of Asian American buyers in this country. And already the percentage that the Asian American identity takes up of the American psyche through what's portrayed on television and movies and commercials, etc., doesn't even begin to represent our community at all. And it's a big problem to how much think space we believe we can take up and what voice we feel empowered to have in the spaces that we occupy. It's the same idea of racial justice is that once one person stands up, we can stand up for ourselves too. Nobody can really tell me and they will tell me that I won't be able to do this because you don't have any choice. You don't, you're Asian Americans. You guys are fine. You guys already have parasite and crazy rich Asians. But this is something more than that. This is something more than just one movie or one film or one TV show. This is the idea that we need to advocate for ourselves within the industry that we are not a genre. We can't just put a dash of soy sauce on it and make it look Asian or get an Asian character, but all white actors. You can't just have Christina Aguilera put fox eye or cat eye eyeliner on when she sings songs from Mulan and it be representative of our history, culture, and identity. No, and when someone says to cut an Asian storyline for their background because nobody cares about Asian cultures, you say that, then we need to start standing up and saying that's not right because then you're erasing an entire culture and you're doing it because Hollywood thinks that Asians don't count. And we're here to say we do. And that's what Strong Asian Lead is here for. We are going to change the industry's idea of what it means to be Asian in the entertainment industry and what the entertainment industry can do and its responsibility to Asians as a society and community. That's incredible. I saw that vision when we first spoke back in February of 2020 before a lot of the madness of this year took place. And maybe because of all of the madness, especially the rising anti-Asian sentiment across the country, you and I understand the absolute need for a strong Asian lead movement to take place across our country. And we know the entertainment industry. We're learning more about the entertainment industry. And we are bringing in experts in all these different positions to help us understand how we can make that movement possible. So I can't wait to dive in more with you on this, David. So in the entertainment industry that we're currently living in, what would be a frame of reference for people who are doing this activism work that's similar to yours? When I think of an individual who has used the entertainment space to make a massive amount of impact on people's lives, I always think of Maya Angelou. She, first and foremost, was a poet, performer, singer, songwriter, entertainer. But what she was able to do was know her strengths and abilities and know the message that she wanted to share and relentlessly pursued that in her craft. She taught individual people how to believe in themselves and to push against all of the blocks that were around them in the entertainment industry in particular. And I think she inspired a lot of people in the entertainment industry to push against the gatekeeping, the red tape that said, oh, you as a person of color or you as a woman can or cannot fit in these certain types of roles. She was one of those people who was like, you can't put me in a box. I'm absolutely unstoppable. And we look upon 
her as a social justice leader, not just an entertainer. She started her career thinking that she could be a poet. And she spread her reach and her ability from there. Are there any particular mm. examples that you've seen? I mean, you are an activist, a writer, a director. When you've been creating your stories and when you've been consuming all the content that you do to do the research for your work, how have you seen stereotypes impact Asian American characters and the psyche of the Asian Americans watching that content? I think it's a mix of things. Not only is it what Asian Americans on television and film had been written as and portrayed as, people like Long Duck Dong, that's not what really hurt me in seeing myself on screen. What it mostly was are things that surround the Japanese culture that are being portrayed incorrectly. Something Even if I am Japanese American, I was born in America in California, my dad was born in America, his mother was born in America, her mother was born in America. So we've been here for a long time, so some of the culture's gone down, but at the same time, I, I was still getting the whole chinky chong, uh, your Charlie slurs against myself. And I think that's, it's not even that the things that were portrayed on television were bad against me, it's that there's the lack of representation and giving he the heroes. In the 80s, when Karate Kid came out, Everybody loved, wanted to take karate. So they all just wanted, it blew up. But it wasn't necessarily because of Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi to them was like, although he was a sensei to people, he still was portrayed as that Miyagi kind of a stereotype. Now it was this, ooh, you're Mr. Miyagi all of a sudden now. And like, use it against me. And he was perfectly portrayed as a Japanese American who was a part of the 442nd, like in that film. And it's like, they still, these people still use that against me as a reason to make fun of me so they knew i was asian they knew i might know karate and that's and that's what they would use a lot of people get it, the jackie chan they call me jackie or whatever and what's bruce lee's favorite drink like just being like give me those things it's always even the martial arts was not given to me as a strength it was used against me because you are asian you probably know karate and I did. <laughs> so it was hard to be like, yeah, well, I do know it, but now you're making fun of me, but I can protect myself. And so it, that's a struggle in there. That's such a good point. And I hadn't thought about this before you shared, but the representation of Asian Americans on TV shows your one Asian character is knowing everything about that Asian culture. They are meant to represent everything about Asia. Or they are Asian-American and their characters don't have anything that identifies them with that culture at all. It's not if there was an Asian friend, the sidekick, it's not like he brought a bento in that scene. He had the same lunchbox as everybody else. So because the characters that were speaking roles that were Asian-American had to represent everything about that culture, are you saying that made you feel like if you were to put yourself in these positions like playing Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, suddenly you would have to know everything and you had to represent an entire culture that's many generations removed from you in those settings? Yeah. I think you see people like Mr. Miyagi who were very Japanese, mm -hmm. had that broken accent, and he did play that. If you ever hear his stand-up, it's super American and it's really funny. But like the people who were playing Asian characters were very knowledgeable about the culture 
and I just didn't. So there's no in-between. In, in TV and film, there's just no half and half of each. You're not bringing some part of your life into American culture and a little American culture into here. You're not bringing rice balls into lunch pails mm-hmm. or bringing french fries into bento boxes. The complex nature of our human identity, right? Every single one of us is extremely complex as a human, regardless of race. When you add on another layer of cultural identity, that makes things even more complex, but that fails to be portrayed when there's only one Asian person in a whole movie. And one of the issues between putting a person of color, but specifically Asian American characters, is that it's one character and they're from one country. So you have Mr. Miyagi coming from Japan, but you watch most of TV and television, they're coming from China. Jackie Chan has been on uh, tons of TV and film stuff, so people know China. So when I would go to school and there was China Day and I'm the only Asian in the class, I'm supposed to represent China. I brought in the fried rice. Like, we're good at making fried rice, but I'm Japanese-American. That's not the same. And then people still give me... I was called Charlie for a while. I'm like, that's Vietnamese. That's that's, that's a whole thing from the war. It's not Japanese. People would pull their eyes back and slant them and do the whole... Chiki Chong, Ling Long kind of stuff. And that's, no, that's not fair. And it's racist. But at the same time, I think it's because the entertainment industry and how they portrayed people on TV to have those broken accents, mm-hmm. which is fine. That's a real thing. That's not a misrepresentation all the time. But people in the world don't take it as that. They don't take it as a reality. And that's, they haven't broken accents because they know two languages. They take it as they don't know enough English because they're dumb. Mm-hmm. And so they use that as fodder to say Asians are just stupid until you said, oh, your English is really good. I'm like, I was born here. Yep. We don't, my family doesn't know Japanese at all. None of my living relatives know Japanese. But the entertainment industry, every character at least knows two languages. Yeah. If and they're speaking. never seen as an advantage. No. And that's a part. That's the part that kind of gets me to go and say we need more representation of Asian Americans on screen, pushing for culture, yeah. pushing for that culture, not just being Asian American because you can speak great English, or just because you can speak to that side of things. But when you're telling a story that you are Asian American, being in that story, that you're allowed to bring in some of that culture, like. Every time you go into somebody's house, you should be taking off your shoes. And that should be just a little bit of a thing. And maybe they teach the other kids in the room that, oh, why don't you take off your shoes? You can leave your shoes on. Make it a th- kind of a thing. You know, it's just those small things that like, oh, she would you want to take off her shoes. The non-Asian kid accidentally sticks their rice, their chopsticks upright in the rice bowl, which in Korean, Chinese, and in Japanese culture and maybe other Asian cultures represents rice that you're offering to dead people and you could even make a comedic scene out of it where somebody launches themselves across the table to knock the chopsticks out of the rice bowl and there's there's a moment right there where an important part of culture can be taught and and shared with the audience yeah and that's the symbolic stuff that we can be sharing too i think the other half of it is so many I've seen it happen. I can't think of any specific television right now. I'll come back with one. But a lot of times people will give an Asian American actor a role. But if they're going to an Asian restaurant, they'll still give them forks and spoons. 
or now they might not necessarily do that, but they'll stay away from giving them extra Asian things to make them extra Asian. So actually the thing I was thinking of last night, I was watching Saturday Night Live and it was the Issa Rae show. And when they were going on dates, they're having her, her old boyfriends come by on her date because she dresses up as Elsa and goes to Times Square. So she's seeing all the people who are homeless and dress up in different things. And one of the guys who comes by is Karate Mike. I'm like, that's great. But you have an Asian cast member in that whole cast, the white guy as the karate guy. I'm like, oh, I would have respected a little more if you pushed that yeah. more because I want the Asian guy to have the background of, of, of being karate. Although it's like bad portrayal. It wasn't a bad portrayal of karate. He's a crazy guy. But at the same time, you're, they're not pushing for Asian people to do Asian things. Mm-hmm. Another example is the Simon Tam case in the Supreme Court. So Simon Tam, his band, The Slants. He was not allowed to trademark The Slants because slants refers to an Asian derogatory term. And the trademark said, you can't have that because you're Asian. Yeah, other people were allowed to trademark as slants uh, like a hundred other times before. But because they're Asian, they weren't allowed to do it. So he had to fight the Supreme Court for like eight years. Right. Band members came in and out. But he finally won the case because it's a freedom of speech. And he's taking back the term. If everybody else can take their derogatory terms and use them in normal culture in themselves, you're taking back the term for yourself. But like for us, I might say Jap. And I'm like, to other Japanese people, we might call something that's Jap. But don't say Jap around me. If you're not Japanese, don't. That's not your term. Right. That's ours. The point is that I think we need to let Asian Americans be authority of their culture instead of letting other people be authority of our culture. And that's part of the representation. It's the representation, not just on the screen, but that they're allowed to represent their culture properly and in a way that makes them feel good. And that resonates with our people, not necessarily just to represent and relate to the white people, but to relate to us because they're representing us and if they don't represent us and then they're just playing to white culture, then they're not representing us. I couldn't agree more that television and film has limited itself to thinking that the main audience for television and film are white people or um, the majority culture. That means lots of financial impact is lost if we don't even consider the Asian community, Asian American community as a culture that is potentially willing to buy that media. Most of the world is Asian. So if film and television made in America told stories of Asians and Asian Americans, there's a lot of buying power and a lot of impact that this particular show or movie could make globally on that level. But if Asian Americans need to pander to an audience that is white, then it doesn't allow us as Asian Americans to feel valued as an audience because you I, I agree with you if Saturday Night Live had let Bo and Yang play Karate Mike then he can also speak to the problematic notion of stereotyping or even be like that's a Chinese thing and that's a Japanese thing you just take one line to make a clarification and be a, a point of education and I agree that Asian Americans have never been allowed to be the authority of their own stories. We, we rarely have the opportunity to be the authority of our own stories, rarely have the opportunity to share the complexity of our own identities. Research has shown that when presented with a certain stereotype, people begin to believe that they are that stereotype. And the most common test of that has been 
two groups of young women were given math tests and one group was told that women are bad at math prior to taking the math test and the other group was not told anything. The group that was told that women are bad at math performed more poorly on that math test than the control group that wasn't told anything. So that particular psychological study showed that when presented with a negative stereotype, that became the belief system of those individuals who were taking that test. And we have these negative stereotypes, even the lack of complexity of Asian American identity time and time again presented to us on TV and film. So it begins to make us think that we are the nerds, the mathletes, the sexualized female characters, the emasculated male characters that has been shown to have a deep impact on the identity of Asian Americans. I want to jump off that real quick because I, I totally agree. We're being told who we are because we're not taught Asian American culture. I think the thing is for me is that we're not taught our history. We're not taught anything about Asian Americans in America. We're taught a little bit about the Chinese railroad, the Japanese incarceration camps, and that's it. Like these things happen to them, but then the rest of history is just gone. So we're taught all, all white American history that they quote unquote conquered the land and did the thing. They made these achievements of mankind to take land and industrialization. And if we are taught Asian American history, it's in college. So it's after that. It's after the fact that we, some people don't get to college, and so there's a barrier of education. And then when we get there, even as an Asian American, I didn't want to take the class. I felt like, I, what's there to learn? But there's so much to learn. There weren't even breadcrumbs given to you in your younger education about Asian American history to think, oh, there's something admirable or something exciting to learn there. And to your point about education, about other people's history and like the black community or indigenous community, even that history is taught incorrectly on purpose to make people think that everything is okay now, that there wasn't great injustice. And I think the same thing exists with the Asian American or Latin American history. It's the continuing injustice and the injustice of just 75 years ago when Japanese Americans were put into concentration camps or in the 80s when Vincent Chin was murdered. This sort of history doesn't even make our textbooks so that we don't realize that injustice is still an active part of every day in this. Completely. And because white America has the control over the history books and the education system, they also have the control over Hollywood. So whatever they want us to believe, that's what's going into film and television. This is not education. It's indoctrination. They want us to know what they want us to know, not what we should know. It's not education. It's indoctrination. Jane Elliott. Jane Elliott is absolutely a real one. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our, well, not sponsors, but we just want to uplift some great people who are doing amazing work. East West Players. Founded in 1965, East West Players is committed to raising the visibility of the Asian American experience by presenting inventive world-class theater productions, developing artists of color, and providing impactful youth education programs. Their vision is to inspire and advocate for a world free of racism and discrimination through transformative artistic works. East West Players has since premiered more than 228 plays and musicals, along with over 1,000 diverse readings and, and workshops for actors, writers, and directors. 
By building bridges between East and West, they have cultivated a loyal audience of over 70% people of color. Their company continues to build platforms for artists of color while advocating for multifaceted representations of the Asian Pacific American experience in the performing arts. East-West Players' main stage is the David Henry Huang Theater, housed within the Union Center for the Arts in downtown Los Angeles' Little Tokyo District. The theater serves more than 25,000 people each year and has become a creative center in this historically significant setting. East-West Players has committed to steering an intersectional focus that further unveils the diversity of Asian Pacific identities as portrayed on stage. Their next play is the Sitayana, or How to Make an Exit, an artful transposition of the Hindu experience. The Ramayana told from Sita's point of view, part epic tale, part coming-of-age story. Sitayana is the ultimate breakup play. Sitayana is directed by Rena Dutt with six live stream interactive performances from May 14th to May 23rd and, on, and video on demand starting May 24th. Please visit the East West Players website at, again, East West Players is currently not a sponsor. We just think that they are doing amazing work and we want to uplift them. So please take the time to look at their website buy a ticket, and donate to their good cause. Now, back to my interview with Emmy Leia Kamamoto. I want to read this article from the Ghidra Papers in the 1970s. I read this almost a year ago, and it's called Amerasian Culture by Natsu. Through Hollywood, we wanted to be the cowboys instead of the Indians. As children, we wanted to play the Americans, not the Japs, the cop, not the robber. Through Hollywood, the lines between good guy and bad guy were clearly drawn. And who wants to be the bad guy? If being the good guy and getting the girl in the end means we're Americans, not Japs, the Cowboys, not the Indians, then what is the psychological effect on the mind of young Amerasian children of our hope for the future? Through the media, the bad guy, good guy images created racial stereotypes. The racial stereotypes furthered the concept of the great society of a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and the myth of assimilation success. Thus, media has been used as a psychological oppressor against the people of color. Unquote. That's what they're teaching us. If you're seeing who the enemy is, always, and it's always the people of color, then society in itself think that's what's true because that's what they're always being told. So the darker you are or whatever culture you're coming from, you're so different that you are the enemy. But if we think about it in the way that we're all human and we all have different cultures, and as long as we're not attacking one another, we become this planet of people with different ideas and different ways of life. No one should be above or below each other. We're just in different areas. And we have, we're using different resources from different types of different places. And that's where Japan gets the rice farmers. You get Native Americans in the land and spiritually. Just because they're different doesn't mean it's wrong. And television has made it difficult to understand that's what the truth is. The incredible thing that this particular piece reminds me of is that Hollywood continues to portray a white savior as one of the best characters. Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai, Matt Damon in The Great Wall. Neither of those characters needed to be white. Neither of those characters could have even existed in those countries at that time. And in order for these cultures to be sellable in America, we had to put a white face on the stories. That is problematic because it's telling us that Asians can't be the lead. Strong Asian Lead is a movement to remind all of us that within the story of our lives, we are the lead. I'm not going to lie that a part of my childhood, I wished I was white fully. 
And for the listeners out there, David and I are both half white, half Japanese. And Dave is Japanese American and I'm first generation Japanese. So we come at this from the perspective of white means a majority culture in the U.S. and a a white dominated storyline that kind of echoes throughout all of our media and entertainment space. But we ourselves are part white and we are part Asian as well. Growing up in Japan, I wanted to have blonde hair. I wanted my name to be Regina. And it wasn't until I came to the States, ironically, that I really began to understand that I was actually Japanese. And I could hold on to that cultural identity as something beneficial because it was something that made me stand out. I was lucky not to have experienced racist taunting as a kid beyond, oh, you're so Asian, which what does that even mean? You're so Asian. But when we look at examples of white saviors coming in to tell the Asian storyline, to be the heroes of that story, it's made me feel like an Asian lead isn't possible. And if my life is a story, if my life is a movie or TV show, how could I possibly be the lead in my own show? How could I imagine myself as a, a president or a CEO, anything powerful as an Asian American woman? And one of the reasons why our conversations kicked off right from the start was because you had grabbed the Instagram handle Strong Asian Lead and had that prominently and proudly displayed on your website. That helped me think, oh my God, we, we can be the strong Asian leaders and strong leads of our own lives. And we can be the ones to create a movement where other people feel empowered to be the strong Asian leads of their lives and not be influenced by what everybody else thinks Asian should be and what everybody else pigeonholes Asian Americans to be. And what we pigeonhole ourselves to be. Because I thought I was white. And all the screenplays that I was writing were for white characters. Wow. That's all I would ever saw on TV. It was always in, in films. It was being the 500 Days of Summer. It was being the Joyce and Gordon Lovitz. And like those characters, we resonate. But those are your famous actors. Those are only who you have as famous actors. And then you have the female leads who, are, who were coming up around the 2015s who I was getting into. Still white. Yeah. Like, you didn't, I didn't look at anything. Nothing was coming in through my ad space. Anything that was coming up through my screens, nothing Asian, nothing anime. I wasn't looking at those things as well, but nothing was also being targeted at me for those things. Mm-hmm. Never thought I was going to write something about Asian people because I didn't know about Asian culture. Anything you want Asian films, you just get this pigeonholed into this idea that they're going to be foreign. So they're always going to have subtitles. Asian films are only going to be martial arts films, Bruce Lee films, bad karate films, all these things that aren't necessarily American. And so I never saw myself as an Asian American and I didn't see myself as Asian. So I I was white. And being from my white household, we also were very separated from our Japanese side of the family for family reasons. And I only saw myself in my white family. And they never treated me any differently, especially since my cousins are also Filipino. But it became this idea that when I realized I was Asian American was during a protest and someone had to point it out to me, verbally point it out to me and says, you're Asian, you are a person of color. And it hit me. I didn't understand I was a person of color because I was never accepted as a person of color. I always thought I was the sidekick. I was never the leader. I was always the sidekick. I was always going to be told what to do. 
and to do it. And I'd get the job done. Like, <laughs> I'm a good Asian boy. I'm going to get the job done. But that's what my role was. And you had been called out in your younger years as an Asian American in a negative way. So being called a person of color in that moment, when you had described the story to me before, it sounded like you were being reminded that you had a, a space to speak in that room because you were a person of color. But prior to that, you had always been, the identity of a, being a person of color had been negative, not a privilege. Right. It was never a privilege. It was always a negative light to be a person of color because I always thought it was coming from colored people. Mm -hmm. And that's where the term came from. But when I understood that it included everybody, include the Asians, because I, and we've talked about this before, that when black and brown people say people of color, I don't feel included. I don't feel included as someone who resonates more with yellow. If I was ever called yellow, no one's ever going to call me brown because that's not, we're all tan and to a certain degree, but they wouldn't call me brown. Yeah. Brown are the Latinx community, the, maybe the Indian community, maybe the Native American, but even then people would say red. Red power was a huge thing back in the 60s as well. Mm -hmm. But yellow power and, and the yellow peril, like that's we're in that category. Mm -hmm. But we never feel included because it's part of the model minority myth that Asians are better because they are smarter, they get the better money, they have that whole thing. So they're not categorized as this oppressed group. And to that model minority myth as well, where Asian Americans have perpetuated the model minority myth because it paints Asian Americans in a favorable light. Combine that with the fact that we don't know our history, we don't know the oppression that has happened against Asian Americans in this country. And Asian Americans being every variety of person who has come from south asia all the way to northeast asia and without that combination of knowing your history and knowing what has created the model minority myth it's caused asian americans to think maybe we are better off even i've felt that oh as an asian american i am better off so thus i don't have a place to stand up and say hey things are really bad for Asian Americans as well because I've been told, oh no, you're so much better off so you shouldn't complain. Whereas actually, we would actually be way better off if we were all complaining together, mm -hmm. cohesively, working to understand that there is a shared history of oppression across all people of color within this country. So much more complexity in these stories to be told that can help us unite with one another to advocate for change. Right. And if we're not being taught that history, the oppression, and we are taught that we are the, the better of the races, quote unquote, to be the model minority is a good thing. So just take it and that's fine. And that when we do protest, we're given, you don't get to protest because you are the richest people in the world. No, that's not true. And you're putting on the mind that the white people have said that who, this is who we are and you're being taught through the television that's who we are so going back to asian americans in entertainment that's where we're being taught most of our cultural understanding of each other and so that's why it's so important that when i got into this movement to understand that i need to change what i'm watching just to understand that i can't just be watching white culture I can't just be watching the 500 Days of Summer and the Batmans. I need to start also watching When They See Us. Mm -hmm. the, yes, finding other cultures to see what they're doing, written and directed by those people. Because otherwise you get things that are just not, they're being portrayed something else. Yeah.
and that could be the uh, the unconscious bias that's going to fall into those things. Mm-hmm. And if you're someone who's going to say, play it like this, otherwise you're fired. Yeah. Play it with a stronger accent, otherwise you're not going to get it. Or we can't hire two Asian people because then there's too many Asian people. Mm-hmm. Like those things will start to come in and really mess things up. That's why it's important to not only have it in the writer's room telling these stories from the story level and because story level is about emotion. And if you don't know family and how the family works, then you're going to mess it up. But then the directors are going to say, I want this casted this way. I want it written this way, act it this way. And if they're not coming from a place of understanding that culture, the backgrounds or the, the nuances of that, or to give the characters and the actors the authority to say, you are the person to tell this story, then you're going to get things that aren't factual, aren't even resonant with those people. And you're going to get something that's very uh, one-dimensional and possibly a stereotype. And when you make jokes in comedy rooms, it's always going to be something like that. I can't remember how many family guy things that I've seen about Asians who are broken accents, driving wrong and making jokes of them because then it's funny. And then someone had posted up recently. It was like this white woman had said every racist thing on stage and got tons of, got her own special. She's on Netflix. Why is that okay? So if, but if anybody of color did that against white people, what do you think that would look like? For example, the blackish episode that aired recently from last season, it was taken out because it was seen as too controversial. And the set setting is there's a thunderstorm outside, massive rain, everybody in the house is afraid. But it turns out they're not actually afraid of the storm. They all keep talking about being afraid of stepping outside of their doors as black people in America, afraid of police brutality, afraid of butting against the minds of peers in school because they think differently about social justice, police brutality issues. And not one... Oh, and the the episode features the Shady King who represents Donald Trump, but they never refer to Donald Trump's name explicitly. And there is never an insult made against white people or directly against the president, only insinuating that he is causing a lot of the division within the country. That episode was not even allowed to be aired. Completely ripped out of the episodes for the season, and it aired later in the year after the social justice movements began again in June. That's one more example where any storyline or any conversation that is had amongst people of color about white oppression, it gets thrown through the machine of Hollywood, washed of its color, and then maybe spit onto the air. Or it doesn't even make it in the first place. Yeah, white people are afraid to talk about it. They have that guilt. They don't want to think about this is what my ancestors did or why should it be talk about race? We shouldn't talk about race because it's embarrassing to you because that's what your culture did. The white culture has done that historically for centuries. And when we talk about it as people of color, people get so defensive and don't want to talk about it. And it's been an interesting moment in 2020 to see young Asian Americans talking more about their own experience, feeling afraid to walk out the door, walk down the street as an Asian American. And we've seen generations of Asian Americans before who have been afraid of that. Understanding one another's stories builds this empathy and builds this desire to work together 
to combat the systems that have strategically and historically been placed to marginalize us, to make us feel like we are not the leads of our life, that we are not leaders. Because the threat of all of these individuals thinking that they're leaders, like how could there possibly be enough space for all these leaders? That mentality that there's only a few places that people can be powerful is really limiting. And bringing that back into the entertainment industry, it's the same idea is that Black America has been able to break down barriers within the entertainment to start telling their own stories, become strong black leaders and black actors and really coming up within the industry. It's the idea that as Asian Americans coming out to protest, we're given this flack of you don't get to do it because you not you guys are okay. We're you're the model minority. You're given you guys get the most college acceptances. You're the best money. You're not being killed by the police. But then when it comes to things like the entertainment industry, we don't have the same stance. We're still the one person in the room, if that. We still account for all the Asians. If you're Japanese, you you have to know everything about China and Korea and Philippines. You have to know about all those things because you're the Asian. And when you are the Asian, you're usually the diversity hire. You're still not given the authority to say that's racist and wrong. You get shut out. You're going to lose your job. Suddenly, you can't speak for all Asian Americans when it says hey, there's a problem here. You're told that's what your job is, but when you're told that you're being racist at that point, you're saying no. And because we're getting people like the Marvel people saying Asian stories don't count, so cut that part. And it's we're getting to that point that Asian-American activists are doing the things for social justice, whereas you and I were working towards that same thing within the entertainment industry. Yeah. Because if no one talks about it within the entertainment industry, it's not going to get done. We can't fix the industry by just giving them more scripts and stories so that they can whitewash it. We have to start building our own studio system to say, this is ours. We are going to make our own films. We are going to make tell our own stories. And they're going to resonate to a population that you're not going to understand unless you bring us with you. Because we know our cultures. We know our different diversities. If you had a random room of Asian Americans in a writer's room or writer's class, there's rarely going to be more than two of the same cultural backgrounds. I'm in Asian American writers class right now, and I'm the only Japanese American. We need to start telling stories that we're Americans. Like as much as I want more Asians on screen in general, I think there's a, there's a sense of Asians don't know English well enough or they're not good enough. And that's why you get these things, these white actors playing Asian roles because they can play English because people don't automatically think Asians can speak English because they go, wow, your English is so good. And there was, just, yeah. And there was a reporter the other day who had back to back racial encounters at the airport. And one of them, one of the people came up to him and said, do you speak English? He's like, why would you think I don't speak English? And so that's what people think. People think we don't think that. And so we need to change that zeitgeist to say we are American by putting it in in the television industry, not only just putting us on the screen as culturally ambiguous or just story because it's story, like it's multicultural, you don't have to think about it. It's nothing about being Asian. It's just that this is a story. But we need to start incorporating these Asian things that makes us different from each Asian. Because, you know, you have things like Claudia Kishu's Japanese and they make her a Japanese story. They don't just give someone who is not Japanese or Asian in general and just give her chopsticks right. and or do the small things. Because we're not ready for that yet. 
I believe that one day when people have enough respect and understanding of the beauty of different cultural nuances that all cultures have, then we can go to a place where you could place the chopsticks there. You could just have the shoes at the door. And that in itself explains the culture and identity. But we're so far from that in America because we don't even know our own history as Asian Americans. We don't know the history of Asians in Asia either because world history lessons in the U.S. are so sparse and few and far between. But we have to spend that time. I agree with you that we have to spend time as Asian Americans telling stories that quantify or qualify the beauty of being Asian American so that we paint this really full picture of who we are, take pride in everything that is Asian American, and then have that respected. And until that respect is there, until it becomes a norm that we can think of a Chinese person, a Japanese person, as Indian person, a Lao person, and think, I know something about that culture that I respect and I think is valuable, then until we reach that point, we're not going to be able to just drop a cultural nuance there because our society doesn't know enough about our identities to respect us and treat us with the kindness, equity, and equality that we as deserve as human beings. Clearly, that's unfortunately the American way. Entertainment is a teaching moment. Every time we watch something, we're going to learn something. I mean, that's why Bill Nye the Science Guy, which is so great, we're learning something while we're being entertained. But things that we're watching, like historical uh, biopics, we're learning something about somebody. And a narrative story that is fictionalized, it's like uh, Queen and Slim. It's about police brutality and how they would look like if a cop was going to shoot somebody and you had your phone out and you're bringing your phone. You said you had your phone and you bring it out and you're getting shot. That's a moment to learn things. Yes, and feel the injustice. Feel the injustice that you know, that you just saw. You saw that's what happened and there was nothing that they had done wrong and they protected themselves because they had to. And if you had seen that, would you say they were still in the wrong? Because is that morally right? Like it's not even about the law at that point. It's morally right. Mm-hmm. And these things are the same thing. Police and the government are still humans and going to make morally wrong decisions. And that's an issue. They're not perfect people. And you can't treat them as perfect people. And you can't treat them perfect people because they're white and they're in positions of power. Because they're in positions of power. You have to treat them that they can still be human and that we have to hold them accountable. That's what a democracy is. And the same thing within the entertainment industry. Just because Hollywood has said this is what it is doesn't mean they're right. And doesn't mean we can't change the Hollywood system by becoming the people to be the system. So we have to start coming as a critical mass, not only just being the one screenplay. I have I've written screenplays. I don't want mine to be the only one that's great and that breaks a barrier. I want us all to be doing very well. I want us all to be taking classes and doing things that give us the ability to tell these stories very succinctly. And I think there's there's a barrier within the Asian American cultures that Asian parents don't let Asians go to art school and tell these screenplays and you can't be an actor and all these things. So we're 
pushed down by our, own, our parents in this society that says you can only play Asian roles if you're Asian and you pay, play these accents. And your parents might not believe in you to do these stories because they don't see other Asians on screen because they don't have any frame of reference. I think my last point is that the education system, when we're teaching film history, we don't teach Asian American film history. We don't teach those things. We don't get to hear about those people. We don't hear what Bruce Lee did for the entertainment industry. Yeah, or, or the Jackie. barriers he fought against. All those things and how he wasn't allowed to make those make the films he wanted to make, but he made the films that they he was being paid to make. Not only is this for us to see ourselves on screen, for us to have the ability and the authority to tell the stories that we have, but if Hollywood is representing America, what's on the television is streaming into everybody's TV and to around the world, then that's what is being portrayed as truth. Isn't that terrifying? It's brutally terrifying because the only things you're going to see is what's in Hollywood and what's on the news. So that's only the things you're going to see. So right. if you're only seeing the things from the white perspective that black people of color are the criminals and the white people are the saviors, then that's what the psychological thing in your mind says that's the truth. Right. So we need to start putting that putting our perspective and really championing not only yes asian american stories but all people of color stories to be able to tell our own stories and our own truths you can't just put the one perspective you have to have multiple perspectives that is the responsibility of hollywood and the definition of history should never be limited to one perspective history is never complete unless you put in the experiences of all parties involved. And I think it's something that I've shared with you since the beginning of our conversations around Strong Asian Lead is that I wouldn't be able to be fully invested in any project around building a movement unless we were going to pilot how do we make an Asian American movement within the entertainment space and change the representation of Asian Americans on screen and behind the screen unless we were going to share the tools, the learnings, the mistakes, the successes that we have had with other communities that haven't had their stories told yet, whether that's stories of people, folks with different ability statuses or with different cultural identities, mixed cultural identity. This information, this movement is a movement for all of us. But you and I are Asian American so we can only speak with the authority of our own identities. And we're not going to be doing that perfectly as well. And that's the beautiful thing about this podcast is, is we're going to get to play around with it. We'll be able to explore, bring in guests with differing opinions, different lived experiences, to be able to fill in the full picture of what does it look like to make a movement where Asian Americans are the authority of their own identities, where we're defining our own narratives and the legacy that we are going to leave behind. If we don't have the conversation at all, we don't get the chance to fail and recover from that failure. If we're not going to explore how we can create an intersection of politics, policy, entertainment, activism, organizing, then we can never reimagine what the system could look like. And it's a muddled picture. It's a messy process because not many have been able to walk this path before us. So... I'm excited to be diving into this with you, David, and exploring how we're going to make issues of race, issues of politics and policy, issues in the entertainment industry, a combination of how we're going to make these topics, these issues into a solution that moves the needle forward for 
the Asian American identity within our country that makes it possible for us to imagine being the strong Asian leads of our own lives. We are planting the seeds for something new, and I really love that we're doing this together because I've not found somebody who is so activated to do something about it. Because all, all I can do myself is try to advocate the same way, but to do it with to do it alone, you get shut down. And as an Asian American, you get shut down because you don't know what you're talking about. I'm one person to a white person. That white person thinks they're better than me, so that doesn't help. But once you have start to have two people, you're like, okay, maybe we should start listening, <laughs> because now you have no choice. Because now we could be uh, relentless. And with your skills, your abilities, your beautiful mind of understanding how you know the world works and empathy for other people and really bringing other people of inclusion and diversity and equity like it's so brilliant and so heartwarming to feel like we can move we can do something with this we can really change the industry not only change the industry when the industry changes society changes because then they see something different within the people they're viewing on their screens and i think not only is that important and crucial for our world but society to move forward you're making me blush and i i agree with you we're organizing right we're getting more than one voice together to have these conversations and society needs to learn this because we don't want history to repeat itself we've seen history repeat itself in this year almost too much and that's what I think makes this podcast necessary now. So I can't wait to dive in to what's next with you. The next few episodes where we're cutting deep. We're calling in and calling out the entertainment industry because we not only want the entertainment industry to change, we see the possibility of what that change will bring for society. This isn't about making money. This is about having people's stories be heard, having people's experiences respected and loved. And the entertainment system is the complex tool that we're going to use to do that. So we got this, David. We got it. With everybody else that's listening and participating in the Strong Asian Lead Movement, we got this. We want to call in that we're recording this episode November 2nd. The election is tomorrow. So the passion, the sense of urgency that you may be hearing in our voices is because we're living in a very bizarre year, a very intense week across our country. We couldn't be more excited to be talking about representing Asian American stories, voices, identities fairly and accurately because we've seen the really dire results of this having been an afterthought in Hollywood and entertainment media with a lot of the anti-Asian sentiment that has taken place this year, that continues to take place this year. The lack of voter turnout in Asian American communities as well is related to this. And yes, we talk about the systems a lot on this podcast, right? Down with the system. Down with the system, changing the system. How did the system even get here? If you're interested in entertainment and in understanding why this industry has been built the way it has been, why it's harder for people of color to get jobs, and if you're interested in changing that, then keep listening in. Join our movement. Help us figure out what it could look like to have strong Asian leads be the owners of their own careers and identities within this industry. Stay tuned. Fight the power. I completely agree. Like We need to have a conversation about this. And this is the first podcast episode, but this isn't the first of very many because we've been talking about this for months and we've been trying to get a 
an idea of how to get this conversation to the world. Because Emmy and I have an understanding this is important to us. And whenever we talk about it, we feel super jazzed. But we can't just be in a bubble of ourselves. We need the community. We need you to start having the same conversations within your circles. And we want to hear from you. So follow us on Instagram. Get us on Twitter. Send us an email. Maybe we'll have you on the podcast. We want to talk about how Hollywood has closed doors against us and how we have to, instead of knocking on every door, we look to the right and say, there's a whole other path over here. We can build our own door. Or what? Why even put a door or barrier on it? We can build our own entryway. If we have the doorway, get the Shinto shrine up. Oh, I love it. And say, go straight through here. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome here. I want to personally thank Amy for this great conversation. I'm always so honored with her presence. And to have this conversation happen, it was just miraculous. It was still during COVID and we got together and made it happen. And every conversation that we have together is pretty much always this deep. So I just want to thank her again. And I wish her all the great glory in her next adventures. I'll have more conversations with Emmy in the future as we already have podcast episodes recorded. They just need to be released. And until then, this has been Strong Asian Lead. Thank you so much for listening to our pilot episode. We have so many more of these conversations ahead of us. Please stay tuned for next week's episode where we speak with scholar and writer Nancy Wong Yoon as we discuss her research exploring Hollywood's structural racism. I think the kind of motivation for all of us to keep going is to see that here are people who are working in industry where everything is stacked up against them. Even now, like one of the actors... He's Asian American on Twitter, and he's a working actor who has to audition. He says that he's still being asked to do an accent in every audition he goes to. This is like, hello, post Crazy Rich Asians. You think that everything's going to get better because you see, you just see Stephen Young like getting a an Oscar nomination. Or, but the truth is that there are still those stereotypes for the everyday actor of color. So Asian American actors are still dealing with the same problematic criteria that we've seen since the beginning of Hollywood. Again, please come to our fundraising campaign launch on Saturday, May 1st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time. If you are unable to attend, that's totally fine. We'll have plenty more events in the future, including more clubhouse rooms, webinars, and advocacy posts on social media. Again, we are doing a crowdfunding campaign. We want to raise $50,000 by the end of May. I know we can do it. So please, donate if you can. And at the very least, please share with your friends and family. Anyone you can reach out to that you think would be interested in the work we're doing would mean a great deal to me and my team. You can find more information at strongasianlead.com or find the link in our show notes. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, David Masami Moria, and this has been Strong Asian Lead. Stay safe out there.